We are leaning in again this morning on capacity. Um, this, this conversation, you know, we, we kind of delve into this once a year, the money thing. We should probably talk about it a lot more because it's the one thing, it's the one thing that a lot of people end up having trouble with. And um, it's the one thing that, that if you don't get it right, it doesn't matter how much you get. Did you follow me? If you don't get it right, it doesn't matter how much you get. If you don't, if you don't learn to handle it the right way, it doesn't matter how much you make. Just spend it all. And, and so over the past couple of weeks, we've been looking into this idea of capacity, how God can increase our capacity. But part of that is also us increasing our responsibility to handle what he's given us. Now, I need to, I've been very transparent, honest with you. I don't think you should give all your money to the church. I've said that every last, everybody went, oh, really? I think that's not in the, in the Bible. I don't think it's in the Bible to give all your money to the church. I don't think it's in the Bible to be only generous to the church. And, and, and sometimes we, we give money to the church and we kind of check the box. Oh, I've been generous. No, I think, I think when Paul writes to the Corinthians and says that he'll enable you to be generous on every occasion, it's not, it's, yeah, churches, local congregations, part of that, but, but so is the boys and girls club. And so is the F 4-H and all those things and whatever else your kids are in and basketball and soccer, all those things. I think we're generous when, when people go through difficult times, it's an opportunity to be generous. And so it's all those things put together. It's, it's making sure the gospel goes across the world. That's a, another opportunity. So all those things put together, there's a, a lot of opportunities out there. I also believe that you can be filthy rich and not believe in Jesus. Amen. And the church sometimes acts like the only way you can get wealthy is to do it God's way. If you went out and robbed a bank tomorrow, you'd be pretty rich. If you robbed the right one and didn't get caught, and there's a lot of other things we gotta add in there. But there's other, there's ways to make money, amen? I wanna present you today, um, has anybody heard the phrase, um, is it YOLO? Is that, was that like 2020? You only live once. As a part of Hope Community Church, could we change that phrase? Because what I need you to understand is that you could get rich on this planet. You get filthy rich on this planet and still go to hell. We should be saying not you only live once, you only live forever. It doesn't roll off the tongue as well, yolf. YOLO is kind of cool sounding, but YOLF, um, you only live forever. And what I need you to understand today is that we're not just amassing wealth here just to enjoy this life. God gives us purpose with finances, his purpose with finances, because you don't only live once, you live forever. And it's, and it's biblical not to just amass wealth here, but to store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. We have a little bit of a taste of this. How many of you have a 401k? Anybody have a 401k? Anybody? Oh, oh, excellent. A lot of people, a lot of people. 
You're putting something away for a time that is yet to come. At least you hope you are. <laughs> You're like, I keep money putting money in it, but I don't know where it goes. That's a that's a a minute idea about what the Bible tells us as far as store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. It's our eternal 401k because you do live forever. And if you're a child of God, Jesus tells us that we, that we don't just amass wealth to make this life pleasant. We don't, we don't just amass it just to get everything we want. No, because at the end of the day, it all dissipates. You can't take it with you. Only what you've stored up treasure in heaven. We're going to talk about that a little bit, about how to think about it. Because I believe the closer we get to Jesus, it should impact what we do with our finances. Amen? Some of you just thought, I ain't getting any closer. There's <laughs> a couple things I want before I get real close. So we would call this in the church what we call discipleship, teaching to be more like Christ. It was a mandate for the church to teach people to become more like Christ. And a lot of times what we do is we try to become more like Christ with our emotions. We try to become more like Christ with our language. We try to become more like Christ with our, in our prayers and our actions. And then when it comes to our finances, we go, hey God, like just stay away from that. That's my bank account. I'm gonna do what I want with it. But the truth is the way we think about finances has a lot to do with how close we are to Jesus. And as we get closer, as we move closer to God, the way we think about money should change. Amen. It should change. So we're going to read what Paul wrote to Timothy. Paul's an old man when he writes to Timothy and, and Timothy is Paul's spiritual son, which I'll give you some explanation of that here in a bit. So why don't we stand on our feet? We're going to read first Timothy chapter six, first Timothy chapter six. Start in verse three. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved of the truth imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and into a snare to many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained from free, 
and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, look at your neighbor and say, you're pretty filthy rich. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Look at your neighbor and say, you should enjoy some of it. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. Father, we thank you this morning. God, we pray that we'd be better stewards of what you have given us. Pray that gospel would advance because you put a passion in our hearts to finance it going forward, to move the needle. We pray, Lord, that people would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because of our generosity. We pray for the opportunity to do that, Lord and the will to follow through. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. Paul is addressing his spiritual son, Timothy. Paul's an old man. Timothy's still pretty young. Timothy is carrying on the work that Paul started in Ephesus. And Ephesus is not an easy place to pastor. There's a lot of wealth in Ephesus. There's a lot of... um, cultic worship in Ephesus. There's a lot of knowledge. Paul is reinforcing to Timothy the need to have good doctrine, good biblical foundation, good beliefs, and how to deal with false teachers that come in, which Ephesus had plenty of. Paul ends his first letter exhorting Timothy to teach sound doctrine and the motivations of people who teach otherwise to watch out for it. He warns in verse five about using godliness as a method to gain material wealth. Remember, there's a warning there. He says the love of money and the unfettered desire to have more is a destructive force in the life of many believers. And Paul then adds in what many scholars believe is like a postscript, like a PS, because it feels like in verse, in verse 16, it feels like he stops the idea. Who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, and whom no one has ever seen or can see to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. That sounds like the end of the letter, doesn't it? That's a really good end to a letter. Remember God, your Savior. Amen. P.S. Tell them rich bums what to do with the money. That's what it feels like in verse 17. Oh yeah, ask for the rich. And this present age charged him not to be haughty. And then he goes down through it. So it's like he finishes the letter and forgets or and remembers, oh wait, I told him about 
I told him about finances. I told him that we should, that you shouldn't be a lover of money, that, that, that it leads to all kinds of difficulties in your life and all, and, and we shouldn't be using the gospel to gain money. And that, that's all, that's a false doctrine. And he does all this. And then it's like, Paul goes, oh yeah, it's Ephesus. Timothy, tell the people that are wealthy what to do with it. So here we are. Timothy had some issues of being young and Timothy had some issues of being seemingly a bit afraid. Paul addresses that and and he's encouraging Timothy, you're the man for the job, stand up and teach people how to live according to the scriptures. Teach them how to live. Teach them how to store up good works. Be generous and ready to share. By doing this for themselves, they would store up treasures in heaven. Referring to Jesus' words in Matthew 6. So simply put, he was saying, Timothy, teach people good doctrine. Teach people how to handle money. Teach people how how to recognize false teachers. So here we are. I think, um, I think that our generosity should be determined by our theology. Now, it would, be, it would be false for me to say that only godly people are generous. That's not true, is it? Is it? It's not. It's not. But what, Timothy, what Paul is telling Timothy, of all people, godly people should be the most generous. Are you following me? So... There's biblical principles about how to live your life. It is not out of the realm of possibility that somebody outside of a relationship with God could apply those biblical principles to their lives and live a life that looks like it, but, is the, but it doesn't have relationship. Are you following me? So in the Bible, it says, we talked about last week, live with margins, don't live in a lot of debt. So I could be over here away from Jesus and follow that principle and not be in a lot of debt and live a good life. True. So it says, do good works and, and be ready to be generous. Well, I could actually do that over here. So don't, don't think, well, the only generous people are the people that know Jesus. That's not actually true. But what Timothy is teaching is the closer you get to Jesus, the more generous we should be. Amen? Because what good is it to tell somebody, hey, I follow Christ, but, but um, I'm kind of stingy. Just want to let you know up front, you ain't getting none from me. You'll have to pray for it. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 5, we read it. Paul says, in constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved of truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Okay, here's where the church messed up. The church messed up in this way. The church messed up by teaching a prosperity gospel that equated if you give, you get. Without defining exactly what that looked like. So, the... The issue with biblical financial principles is this. It's the trust of God in us to steward what he gave us. Amen? Anybody give your kids $20 when they were little? And he said, hey, don't spend it all. 
don't spend it all at the same time. And then, and then the kid walked through the Walmart with their hands in the pocket and they're like, oh man. And you're like, hey, you got to be responsible with that, buddy. You can't, you know, if you, if you buy a Nerf gun, that's all you get. And they're like, but that's all I want. You know, and they're just, so a lot of times, this is the conversation that happens with us and God. God is saying, I need, I need you to mature in finances so I can trust you with the finances. Go back to the parable of the talents. So what happens is God entrusts us with what we have, and then we are to bring a return on what he has given us. We've talked about that before. Now, The problem with false doctrine is this. I take a little bit of the truth and I twist it into something that benefits me. Are you hearing me? So Paul does write to the Corinthians and say that he will provide for you. He will continue to increase you so that you can be generous on every occasion. Don't you, do you see a connection there? That he will increase us and he will supply that he will do all that. He will keep providing as lo- for us so that we can continue to be generous. So what the prosperity gospel did was it came along and said, if I give, I get, and I get to do whatever I want to with what I get. So it, it wasn't a relationship that, that, that dictated the finances. It was a transactional thing. It wasn't any more than an investment club. Hey, I don't, I don't need to be told what to do with my money. But if, if there's a guarantee that I can give $2,000 to God and he'll give me four back, I'm in. Do you know how many people over the years gave their credit card number to TV preachers who were promising just that? We got a whole, we got sucked into the idea and it was preached on TV and in conferences that, Hey, if you support this ministry, God will bless you and pay off your credit card bills. Well, that sounds like a good deal. Doesn't it? That sounds like a good deal. If I give the ministry a thousand dollars, that guy doesn't know that I have $50,000 of credit card debt, but he told me it would all get paid off. You know what happened? We ended up having $51,000 in credit card debt. Because we were just trying to do a transactional thing with God. Hey, if I give him a thousand, he'll give me more. If I give him this, he'll give me more. Give him this, he'll give me more. Give him this, he'll give me more. And Paul's, uh, Paul's addressing that thousands of years ago with Timothy. Going, hey, some people think trying to be godly is just a source of gaining wealth. Some people are just in this just to make more money. It's not because they have a heart of generosity or they have a heart that's bent towards God. It's just that it's, a, it's another investment club. It's another way like, hey, I need to get out of a circumstance. So I'm going to just go to church and I'm going to start, I'm going I'm to I'm cuss less on Sunday because, you know, put the money in the offering. I'm going to cuss less and now I'm going to get some back. Sounds kind of cheap, doesn't it? But this mentality has been plaguing the church since the beginning. And what we find is that Paul's telling Timothy, hey, warn people in Ephesus. Ephesus was very prosperous. There was, there was some wealthy people in the church. And, and he was saying, hey, listen, warn them. 
Warn them that this isn't a transactional thing. This is about having a relationship with Christ. And you can't get the two mixed up. So what you believe about God determines what you believe about money and generosity. Think about this. Go back to the parable of the talents. He gave five, two, and one. Five to one person, two to another, and one to another. And what happens is, what happens is you see the mentality of what they thought about the master. When he gets all the way down to the last person that got one, he said this, I knew you to be a hard man. Go back and read it. He said, I knew you to be a hard man. And so what did he do with it? Nothing. Buried it. His theology controlled how he dealt with the finances he had, what was entrusted to him. And so the what he thought about, the one who gave him what he got, dictated how he handled it afterwards. The relationship has to be the thing that moves us. The way I perceive God determines what I do with what I have. It just does. Now, now you can get emotionally tied to something and give to it. You can get, you can get worked up in a season and, and have a belief about something and give to it. But I don't know that you will ever be consistently generous to the gospel moving forward, to, to, the, to the idea of people coming to know Christ without, without you yourself being passionate about him. Amen? Can I, can I rephrase it a little bit different way? Um, man, I am madly in love with my wife. All right. Now, one of the ways I know I'm madly in love with her is because the jewelry store texts me every time her birthday or anniversary comes up. And you know what I do? I drive down there. I don't drive down there because because I think there's going to be something spectacular about our relationship. We've been together almost 30 years now, right? So I think she knows I'm pretty predictable by now. Is, is that true? Sorry. <laughs> and she's pretty predictable. Anybody in a pretty predictable relationship? Like you ain't walking home going, whoa, what did you do this week? Um, I, I'm, I'm cool with that. All right. But because I love her, I will pivot resources towards her. Is that true? Okay. Okay, so, so if I, I, I was in a missions trip in Belgium and I thought, this is where they make diamonds. Not really, but I felt like that. And I went into a store and I was like, I could get in trouble, but I'm pulling the trigger. You know, you ever been like that? And so I'm in there. Why did I do it? Not because I thought I was going to get something, because I was already bent towards her. Are you, are you, now, I'll be honest with you. When you guys first start out and you're buying the wedding ring, it's all about what you're trying to, never mind. Um, but once you mature, are you following me? Once you mature, now we're bending resources toward each other, not because we think we're going to get something from each other, because we want to express our commitment and desire to each other. Are you following me now? So what I believe about my wife can determine the amount of resources I'm pushing in her direction. Do you follow that? So Paul says, 
Make sure you're not just chasing money for the sake of chasing money. Make sure that you're not trying to use godliness to gain wealth. Make sure it's not this transactional thing. Make sure that the way we think about God, our relationship with him is what is determining what we think about money, not the reverse. And he said, teach and train people how to think and be Christ-like with our possessions. What is our motivation? And then at the end of the day, what are the outcomes from that motivation? So all across the room, our, our vision here at Hope Community Church is to move people closer to God. Say that out loud. Move people closer to God. So that means if you've been serving him for 30 years, guess what? You can take another step. Closer. If you've been serving him for 10 seconds, guess what? You can take another step. Move closer. It's about moving us closer to God. So our theology and the what we think about God, the study of him, should be also maturing. Amen? All right. Here's what I found out in my life. In order for me to mature, I have to take an honest assessment of where I currently am. Do you remember when you were in school and they used to do the standard, standardized test in school? I don't know if they do that anymore. But uh, we had the um, Scantrons. Do you remember those? Use a number two pencil, fill in your mark, and make your mark dark. And they pass out the Scantron, and you just circle, you just fill in the little scribbles, you fill in the little scribbles. And if, and if you were one of those type of people, and this happened last week, <laughs> if you were one of those type of people and you got one wrong, you'd say, no, 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 it, it, the computer read it wrong. Like, I didn't mean to scribble that one in. You would take a standardized test to find out what you knew about the subject. Is that true? And then what would happen is the school system would go out of the standardized test. This is what we need to lean into because this is because they don't know enough in that area, this area, whatever. So the irony is as adults, we stop taking tests. We stop trying to figure out where we are in things. And so any time that I want to grow, I have to first figure out where I am. Are you following that? First, you have to do a self-assessment of where you are. You have to have a gauge by which you can go, hey, this is where I currently am, but this is where I want to be. This is what I know. This is what I'd like to know. This is how I'm performing. This is the way I'd like to perform. At any level in your life, if you're going to improve, you have to first assess where you are. It would do me no good if I wanted to be a brain surgeon. It's a little late. I'm not saying it's not out of the possibility. But if I wanted to be a brain surgeon, I wouldn't start out with the most complicated subject in brain surgery. I'd, I'd have to take an assessment. And they would go, you should probably not do this. <laughs> the assessment would tell me where I'm at. Okay, so... We're going to take a little assessment. Are you going to, will you lean in with me this morning? Will you lean in? There's a five level assessment. Okay. Level one. It's this assessment of the way we think about our stuff. Level one. This is the basic, how we all start out. What should I do with my stuff? That makes sense, doesn't it? When, when you're, when you're a kid, you've got your stuff. And when, you're, when your sibling comes over to get your stuff, you teach them that it's your stuff, right? 
I remember, um, I don't know if I should tell this online. Um, I remember when I was pretty young, I didn't know right from wrong. Um, I, I remember going into a hardware store and we were poor, like we were poor. And I remember going into a hardware store and I wanted a squirt gun. This face, I just wanted a squirt gun, mom. Well, she said, no. So you know what I did? I took it. I took it. Now, when I got it, got home, that was my squirt gun. I stole it. My brother didn't have nothing to do with it. This wasn't a 50, 50. He wasn't accomplished nothing. He didn't even know I did it. I put that, I stole it. It was my gun. But when I got home, he wanted it. It was mine. I had worked for it. That's the first level when we think like that. What am I going to do with my stuff? Now, he ended up telling me I got spanked and I'd take it back. Still bothers me to this day. It was a good squirt gun. So that's level one. What am I going to do with my stuff? Level two, we mature a little bit to what am I going to do with God's stuff? There's a recognition that God gave it to us. There's a recognition that, that he has blessed me with the ability to work. He has blessed me with the ability to do things. And so now, now I have to figure out what I'm going to do with he, what he gave me. That sounds a little more mature, doesn't it? And then we move to level three. What would God have me do with God's stuff? That means we're actually stopping for a second and going, God, you blessed me with a job. You blessed me with income. You blessed me with a beautiful house. You blessed me with all these things. And now I'm going to actually take time and pray and ask you, I'm going to search your word and ask you what, how you'd like me to handle that. Are, are you seeing the progression? We're moving a little closer. Level four, what would God have me to give from what God has provided for me and my family. Oh, now we've reached a maturity where we're actually saying, God, I don't need it all. I'll give some away. I'm not giving it. I'm not, I'll pray about it. But Lord, you bless me with it. I've been, I've been praying about what to do with it. And now I'm going to the next level and I'm going to say, Lord, I'm willing to give some of it away. I'm praying And God, give me an opportunity now to be generous, Lord. Now we've reached level four. Now, are you ready for level five? You're not ready. Level five. Can I be transparent with you right now? No more stealing things, but this is just my personal assessment. I don't know that I can say that I'm a level five person. And when you hear it, you'll understand. Over the last couple weeks, I've been praying, God, help me figure out how to be that level five person. Okay, level five. Not just how much you want me to give away, Lord, but level five is this is a level of maturity when we sincerely ask God to reveal what is enough for us. And it sounds like this. What would God have me to keep from what God has provided to me and my family? Did you see the shift there? We went from God, what would you have me give away to Lord? How much you want me to keep? How much you want me to keep? And everyone in the room is looking at me like, are you kidding me? How much you want me to keep? Chris, do you know how much money I make? We got to keep it all. Do you, are you, are you, 
here's why this is important. Because I've got, I need to get that worked out before I ask God for more. We're talking this whole month about capacity and God increasing our capacity. The issue is I can pray for capacity. I can pray for an increase. I can pray for increase, pray for increase. But I, I want to be at a level five where I can say, God, at some point in time, even if I make more, I might not live on more. Does that make sense? Now, I know what every one of you are sitting there thinking, oh, well, I'll never get a new truck. Did I say that? I'll, I'll never get another house. Did I say that? I didn't say anything like that. I don't, I don't know what that number is for you. I'm saying the level five maturity is me having the conversation with God. So if you make $10 million a year and you decide to live on 10% of that, tell you that's pretty good. And give 90% away. Or you decide to live on 5% of that and give 95% of it away. But here's what I know. If I never get to that level of conversation with God, it'll never happen. So we're talking about an assessment. So I want you to close your eyes real quick. Close your eyes real quick. There's no condemnation here. I don't, I don't Whatever level you're on is whatever level you're on. It's not, this is not good or bad. This is just take an assessment. In your, in your everyday walk, ask yourself, where do I think I fit on that continuum? What am I going to do with my stuff? What am I going to do with God's stuff? What does God want me to do with God's stuff? What does God want me to give away from what he's given me? And then that last one, God, what do you want me to keep out of what you've given me? Just take a second. Online, take a second to figure out where do you land on that? Because if we're moving closer to God, everybody look up. I believe we should be progressing on that continuum with our income. Amen? With what he's given us. Level one, you notice the two pronouns there, I and I and I. It reminds me of Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13, the parable of the rich fool. God blesses him. He doesn't even acknowledge it. And he says, he's got all that he could ever want. He's going to kick back. He's going to build bigger barns. He's going to fill them up. And then what happens is he dies. Doesn't enjoy any of it. And Jesus is teaching it. And he's saying he doesn't even understand how short his life's going to be. And it's about him and what he's going to do with his stuff. And he's saying, listen, don't live that way. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't, can't touch it. That's that basic, what am I going to do with my stuff? I'm going to just keep it all. I'm going to just do what I want with it. Then level two begins the acknowledgement that God has given me everything, but I'm still deciding what to do with it. This is more like the rich young ruler that bumps into Jesus and says, hey, what, what must I do to be perfect? He was Jewish. He, he, he definitely had the belief that God had given him everything. But when Jesus challenged him, he was like, this is my stuff. I'm not getting rid of it. Then level three is the realization that God's plan is the best for us. And I should look into God's counsel concerning where to spend it. It relates to issues such as the wisdom in gambling or extravagant purchases. When we can say, I I know what everybody just did. Oh, he said I couldn't gamble. Look. What I would say is this, God, tell me what the best use of what you've given me is. 
Tell me what the best use is. Now, if you buy a dollar lottery ticket, do I care? No. If you buy $10,000 with a dollar lottery tickets every year, it's probably an issue. Amen? Unless you win. That was a joke. That was a joke. Level four, the realization that God gives and generosity is a part of becoming like Christ. There's a godly portion. So the idea of tithing and giving over and above and blessing people and just being ready for every opportunity saying, God, if you give it to me, Lord, I'll be a conduit for your blessing to others. And then level five is where we reach the part where God can increase us. Listen to me. We talked about it at the beginning that we need to think about increasing our capacity. Level five looks like this. Lord, if you give me more, I won't eat it all. If you give me more, I won't eat it all. I won't eat all the seed. I'll plant it. You hear about people um, over, over time that have done this. Rick Warren, who pastored Saddleback Church, wrote, wrote the number one best-selling nonfiction book besides the Bible in all of human history called The Purpose Driven Life. I saw an interview with him where he said, where he said, the first year I could have bought 10 Bentleys and never missed the money. And I thought, I mean, one would have been nice. He said, at that time, he said, I'm driving a car that's 11 years old and we live in the same house we've lived in 20 some years. He paid all his salary back to the church over the 20, 30 years he had been there. And he started a foundation and he lives on a fraction of the money that comes in. I saw an interview where somebody was saying, why did God let you write that book? And he said, he could trust me with the money. He had already made his mind up before he got filthy rich what he was going to do with it. God, how much do you want me to keep? Now listen, God is not asking you to live in, in, in a tent. That's not what he's asking you to do. If you remember, Paul writes to Timothy in what we just read and he said, you can enjoy it. It's God's blessing on your life. You live in America. There's some certain things that that you get to enjoy here in America. He's not asking you to live like a pauper, but he is asking us to be content with what we have. He is asking us to be content because when we chase money, instead of chasing him, he, t- t- he said, Timothy, teach the, teach the people in Ephesus that if they chase money instead of me, it never leads to a good place. So, be, so godliness with contentment, not godliness trying to get something. Not godliness like, Lord, come on, man, just give me some more. No, this is godliness like, God, what do you want me to do with it? How do you want me to live? And as we mature, we get in these conversations with God where we say, God, you know what? We live a pretty sweet life. We got, we got, you've blessed us. Now, is it possible that we could start turning this into a conduit to bless others. What is enough for me to live on? Do you know what a mature conversation is? What is enough? What is enough? Second service will say amen. <laughs> Determined to take the next step. The band's gonna come up. We're gonna end with this. How many of you just honestly, in situations like this, get paralyzed. 
Sometimes I do. I'm like, God, I read a book one time and it was a, it was a very challenging. And I remember sitting out uh, behind my house going, God, I don't even know what to do with this. Do you want me to just sell everything, give it away? And he's like, well, Chris, then you wouldn't have anywhere to live. That's kind of dumb. Um, how do you want me to, what do you want me to do with this? I just keep, I kept being reminded, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, teach people who have money what to do with it. Be rich in good works. Use your money to do good things. Look for opportunities to be generous. Don't be haughty. Don't be proud. All these things. He said, teach them consistently. He said, Timothy, you live in a prosperous area. You live, you're, you're in Ephesus. There's money flowing all over the place. Teach people when they enter into this relationship with God, there's an expectation to mature in him. And that covers what we have. He was charged to teach the followers of Christ in Ephesus not once, but continually what godliness looked like. They were to be growing under his teaching, becoming more like Christ, taking the next step, taking the next step. Sometimes I'll get to a place, and to be honest with you, I like to just kind of settle in. I have a a, um, a chair in our office that I I was sitting in just just, uh, yesterday morning or morning before. And um, it is the perfect chair. No, 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 you don't understand. It's the perfect chair. It's, it's shaped perfect. It's the 15 degrees. It's the perfect chair. It was designed in the 60s. It's the perfect chair. And you know what I like? I like to sit in that chair. Every time I sit down in it and I smile, I go, yeah, this guy knew what he was doing. And you know what I like? I like to sit there and not get up because after I sit in it, I have a recliner in the living room, but it hurts sometimes. But after I sit in this chair in the office, I just kind of like, oh man, this is what life is supposed to feel like. Just easy. And then God reminds me, I didn't call you to sit down and stay the same. I called you to become more like me. So our spending habits, our giving habits, I've fallen into the trap of getting comfortable with what we're doing, of just staying in a place, of just sitting in the comfortable chair and being like, okay, God, this is what I'm, you know, I'm making this much, I'm giving this much, I'm making this much, I'm doing this much, I'm, think, I'm thinking like this, I'm doing this, and it's all fun, and we're, we're just in a good spot now, Lord. And then what happens when I start talking to him like that, he's like, hey, come here. I want to show you something else. And every time he's pulling me out of that comfort chair and going, hey, walk over with me a little bit farther, walk over with me a little bit farther, and I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you there's another level. I'm going to show you there's another step of faith. I'm going to show you there's another step of grace. I'm going to show you there's more. I'm going to show you there's more. I'm going to show you there's more. And every time that we step out like that, he is, he meets us. And it's a whole new exciting part of life where it's like, God, man, wow. So in a world that we're trying to get as much as we can get, as fast as we can get it, 
the Bible comes in and says, hey, listen, I need you to, I need you to lean into him. I need you to take one more step towards him. He's not saying that we can't be wealthy. He's saying we do it the right way. He can increase our capacity the right way. And together we can see the gospel go forward because of that. Together we can see, we can see people's lives transformed because of our generosity. Amen. So I'll just stand to your feet. I want to pray that prayer over you this morning. I'm praying it over myself as well. Did we step one more step closer, wherever we are, however we think now, that we take a step towards him. Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, you have given to us. You've blessed us, Lord. You haven't withheld from us. Lord, we live in a wonderful time and a wonderful, wonderful place, Lord, and we are blessed. But godliness is not just about attaining things. It's about pleasing you. It's about storing up for the eternal life. It's about doing what's right. It's about a relationship. So God, we ask that you'd help us step into that this morning. Wherever we are on that continuum, Lord, I pray that we'd take a step of faith today. Lord, that we'd hear from you. God, and that that our hearts would move closer to you. Our treasure would be closer to you. And Lord, that the result of that, Lord, is that people would come to know you. The result of me taking a step towards you, the result of this whole group taking a step towards you is that people outside of this place would benefit. Lord, that we would see our value in others coming to know you. Lord, help us do that this morning. And Lord, we thank you up front for your faithfulness. We thank you up front for your increase. And we will use it for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Come on, church, could you say amen? Hey, take a step this week. Encourage someone, take a step this 